friend of mine told about a time when his younger son was not behaving in church and he uh, warned him several times and uh, finally said if you don't behave I'm going to take you out and spank you and he still didn't listen so he grabbed him by the hand and led him out of the sanctuary of the church and as he was going out the little boy turned back to the congregation and said pray for me (laughs) I think we've all probably had those experiences as a child and maybe as a parent how do we behave in church 1st Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 16 is our text today in Jesus name I'm writing these things to you hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, seeking to guide the congregation there in the city of Ephesus so that they would know how to conduct themselves in the household of God, how to live as those who have been bought with a price, those in the family of God, those in the church of the living God. Uh, Teach us, Lord, what it means to be a part of your family, part of your church. Work in us, Father, work through us, For the glory and the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I don't know what it was like for you when you were little, but I was expected to behave in church. When I sat in the front row many times, uh, right underneath the pulpit, uh, back in the old church there in Cloquet on 10th Street, Uh, literally in uh, a spitting distance of my father. And so uh, he was right there. I was looking up at him. And if I started to misbehave uh, during the service, I got that look. And I knew what that look meant. If you don't behave in church, something is going to happen when we get home. And I don't know if my brothers remember this, but when my father would reach for his belt... We knew what that meant. We were in trouble. And so just that look, and being the obedient child that I was, that was enough, okay? I didn't want to get in trouble when I got home. Paul writes this letter, and here is, again, the purpose of this letter. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you shortly, but in case I am delayed, I write so that. What's the purpose? So that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. 
In other words, as believers in Jesus, we are to live in a way that is consistent with what we are. We are the household of God. We are the church of the living God. We are the pillar and support of the truth. And those three phrases really describe what we ought to be, what we are in Christ, and how we ought to live then our lives. Notice the first phrase then, as the household of God, we love like brothers and sisters. The word household is used several times in this chapter as a metaphor for the family. If we go back to chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, where he talks about overseers, he uses the word household. He must be one who manages his own household. Verse 12, as he writes to deacons, deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. And so that word household is is used as a metaphor for the family. And when it's used here in our text, it is used as a metaphor for the family of God, the household of God. Now, we are to be a part of the family of God, the household of God. We need to be adopted into the family of God. Because we, by nature, are sinful. We are born, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, as children of wrath, born in sin. And and in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 and 12, Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. And listen to this list. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's quite a list. Strangers, no hope without God in this world. And if Paul ended there, we might as well just pack our bags and go home. But notice what he goes on to say in verse 13. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then in verse 19, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be a part of the household of God? To be part of the family of God? To be able to say that God is my Father and I have all kinds of brothers and sisters in Jesus? As I look across this gathering today, I rejoice that I can call many of you my brother in Jesus, my sister in Jesus. That we are joint heirs with Jesus. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so being part of the family of God carries with it some, some wonderful privileges, doesn't it? 
To be able to bring all of our needs to the Father in prayer. To be able to share with brothers and sisters in our struggles and in our challenges. To know that He hears us as we call to Him. To know that and to trust that He knows what is best for us. And there are many, many more privileges to be a part of the family of God. But being part of the household of God, the family of God, also includes some important responsibilities, doesn't it? If God is our Father... And in Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. Then we are called to relate to one another in the household of God as brothers and sisters. And maybe you think, boy, when I was growing up, I used to fight my brother. (laughs) But you still loved him, didn't you? And so we may disagree at times. We may have struggles within the family of God. But we, we love each other and we care for each other. Galatians chapter 6. Paul describes that kind of care we have for one another. In Galatians 6 verse 9, Paul says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And then he says, And especially... Notice that, especially to those who are of the household, there's the word again, the household of faith. The Gaithers wrote that hymn, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in His fountain, cleansed by His blood. The next verse says, you may notice that we say brother and sister around here. Why? It's because we are a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear. And we rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. Are you a part of the family of God? Have you been adopted into the family of God? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Then you can rejoice today. Because to be a part of that family is the greatest family in the world. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And just think of what a family reunion that will be as we gather around the throne. But in the meantime, we need to live as family. Loving one another, caring for one another, nurturing one another, meeting one another's needs. As the household of God, we love like family. Paul then goes on to describe us as the church of the living God. And as the church of the living God, we live to serve Him. That description, the living God, is one that is very rich in the Old Testament. And it was used repeatedly to contrast God's unlimited power with the utter helplessness of the false gods of this world. They are not living gods. They are just dead idols that can do nothing. We serve the living God. For example, when Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River, he said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. 
and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Joshua 3 verse 10. And remember when David was, was going to battle the giant Goliath. You remember what he said? He said, you have taunted the armies of the living God. 1 Samuel 17 verse 36. In the time when Hezekiah was faced with the powerful Assyrian army, listen to how he prayed in 2 Kings chapter 19. He said, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. And so these men were willing to serve the the Lord in spite of the difficulty they faced because they knew that they were serving the living God. The God who is able to give them victory. The God who protects them and provides for them and cares for them. He is not a dead God. He is living. And the description of this Ephesian congregation as the church of the living God was certainly meant to encourage them, and they needed it. Uh, this church was, was an island of light in a, a very dark pagan city, the city of Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul preached in that city, remember how there was revival. Uh, They brought their books of magic and and they put them in a pile and they burnt them there. And the Word of God was, was transforming lives in that city. But then the silversmiths were angry because what was happening to their trade all of these idols that were made to the to the uh, uh, goddess diana and how uh, they gathered together and said you know this is hurting our business and what's going to happen to the worship of our goddess here we've got to do something about that and there was a riot and they they dragged the the, the believers and were were ready to kill them and that's the kind of city that timothy was ministering in Because Paul told him in chapter 1, verse 3 of this letter, Remain on at Ephesus, Timothy. (laughs) And so you think of ministering in a place like that and knowing that the living God, that they were the church of the living God. And as this God had been with Joshua and David and Hezekiah, this living God would also be with Timothy. And that very dark culture of Ephesus. And you know, the longer we live, I I think we're going to become more and more like Ephesus, aren't we? A very pagan culture today, turning away from the truth of God's Word. We need to be reminded that we are the church of the living God. And Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We take a stand Because we serve the living God. Praise God for that. The household of God. The church of the living God. And then thirdly, Paul says, as the pillar and support of truth, we uphold God's word. What an interesting picture of the church. The pillar and support of truth. The picture that Paul uses here with that of a pillar 
is one that the Ephesians clearly understood because the temple of the goddess Diana was there. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, we are told. And that temple contained 127 pillars that were 60 feet high. Imagine that. And so that image of of pillars supporting the structure of a building and supporting the roof of that building was, was one that the Ephesians clearly understood. And what Paul was telling them then is that the church is to be the pillar and support of the truth. They were called to uphold God's truth without compromise in a pagan culture. In verse 16, Paul gives a summary of that truth. By common confession, he says, Great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And many believe that this was an early confession of faith. Or perhaps the words of a hymn. Something that they may have recited in their gatherings as a, as a summary of, of the truth of, of Jesus and who He is from His incarnation all the way to His ascension. And notice these basic truths that they believed. That Jesus was revealed in the flesh. His incarnation, when the eternal Son of God took on human flesh. When Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit, took on human flesh. And so the early church, they believed that Jesus was true God and true man. Existing from eternity. Born at Bethlehem. And forever is true God and true man. Vindicated in the Spirit. I may refer to Jesus' resurrection by which He proclaimed His victory over death. Romans 1.4, He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. And I think of that passage in 1 Peter when Jesus proclaimed to the spirits now in prison His, his victory, vindicated, proved that, that as He conquered death, He indeed is the Son of God. Seen by angels. Think of how the angels observed every significant event of Jesus' life and ministry. And as ministering spirits sent from the Father, they brought divine approval to Jesus' life and ministry. Proclaimed among the nations. Believed on in the world. Emphasizes the truth that Jesus came that all men might be saved. And that message of the gospel must be proclaimed first in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the very ends of the earth. We confess the need for missions. That that message be proclaimed and then taken up into glory. The ascension of Jesus to the place of honor and power at the right hand of God. And so that's kind of a summary of, of, of some of the basic uh, truths of Scripture that the, the early church stood on. And Paul says we, we support this as, as pillars would support a building. The church is to be the pillar and support of the truth. 
And sadly, we must say that today, uh, these fundamental truths of Scripture and many others are being compromised. That those who claim to be part of, of the family of God no longer stand upon the truth of God. No longer believe those things that have been taught from the time of the apostles on, but they've, they've adapted to the culture of the day. No longer willing to stand upon God's Word. We saw that back when I was a child, and even before that, I'm sure, but I remember in the 60s, the church body that we were a part of, the Sunday school material, parish ed material, couldn't really believe that Jonah was swallowed by this fish. That's just a myth. That was a long time ago. Adam and Eve were not real people. They're just uh, you know, part of the myth of Genesis and so forth. And my dad took a stand in our community. That's when we found out about the AFLC, thankfully, and our church joined the AFLC. But crumbling, not being a pillar of the truth. And you look at what has happened in, in that church body from, from that time on, and you can see when you no longer uphold the, the inerrancy of Scripture and the basic truths of Scripture, a, a, a church crumbles. And we need to realize that that can happen to us too if we're not faithful to the Word. If we think that we're somehow immune from this, that, that you know, the one who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We need to be a pillar of the truth. We need to accept this Word from Genesis to Revelation, regardless of what the culture will tell us. And I don't want to be a part of, the, of a church that does not see itself as, as the support and pillar of truth. Because if we are not that, then we're, just, we're no different than a country club. We're no different than a, than a social gathering. We are the household of God. We are the church of the living God. We are the pillar and support of the truth. That's how we behave in the family of God. And may God help us. May God give us the grace to live then in a manner consistent with what we are in Jesus. The family of God. The church of the living God. The pillar and support of the truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you purchased the church with your blood. We are bought with a price and we are called to bring glory and praise to you. Thank you for the family of God that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you that we are the church of the living God. The God who gives victory. The God who enables us to, to take a stand against the culture of our day. We are the pillar and the support of truth. And so help us to know the truth. And then to stand upon that truth. And to do everything we can to support the truth of your word.
Father, use us. As you used Timothy, as you worked in that city of Ephesus that was so filled with paganism and idolatry, Father, use us to be salt and light in this world, we pray. For it is in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.